0: Hey, everybody, Kevin Rose here. Welcome back to another episode of Block Zero. This is the show where we interview all of the hidden people in the cryptocurrency space. I feel like there's so many different projects and coins out there, actually several thousand coins that exist out there today. You don't know who to trust, and there's oftentimes bad actors out there and coins that you want to avoid. So I try and go after and find the teams, the people behind these cryptocurrencies and these projects bring them on the show, interview them, and then we can make better decisions together on whether we wanna invest or it's a project that we wanna track. So one of the things I've been fascinated with over the last couple years are privacy coins. And these are coins where you are completely anonymous when you're sending and receiving these currencies. So some good examples are Monero, another big one, and an innovator in the space is called Zcash. That later turned into something called Zclassic, or actually I should say there was a fork called Zclassic. And then later, that forked again and created Zencash, which is who we're going to interview today. I think these coins are really important to track because there's certainly something that we all want. We don't want people spying on who we're sending money to. And there's a lot of countries where the governments are pretty evil and they want to track everything that you do. So the idea of having that extra layer of security and privacy is a great thing. Now today's guest is Rob Violone. Rob and I have gotten together for drinks, and we've also obviously chatted for this podcast. I think honestly he is one of the the nicest guys in the cryptocurrency space. Um, I've had a really uh, great time getting to know him, and he has a pretty unique take on his own privacy coin um, that he has forked, and he wants to create something that is really beautiful easy to use and has a different level of customer support and a unique governance system. So pretty excited to chat with him today. As always, full disclosure, at the time of this podcast, I do hold some cash and I wanted to let you know that because I think it's very important when you talk about anything related to stocks or finance to just be upfront with that. And I hold it because I believe in the project. I think he's a great founder and put together a pretty solid team and they're building some cool stuff. So let's chat with Rob Violone.
1: I started off as uh, uh you know my undergrad was in physics and math and then I I ended up taking a bit of a different career path and went into the military and I was an Air Force scientist for a number of years uh working on cool satellite stuff uh like um radar imaging systems and uh rocket launch vehicles and just had a blast uh, like a different kind of career uh, but then I went from there to consulting and then started getting into the economic side of, of things, got, went back and got my MBA in finance and marketing. It was educationally. The next step for me was, yeah, I, I, you mentioned this whole concept of being a lifelong learner. Well, that was exactly like me. And I just couldn't stop myself from doing these uh, online courses, you know, like the, the MOOCs with edX and Coursera. And I found myself on my free time. I was just studying. So I figured, well, oh, I might as well go back and get a PhD. And, and get some credit for it. Uh, not that I think that credit is, is a mandatory thing for education, but uh, I, I noticed myself kind of hitting um, these like intellectual barriers, at least on the statistics side of things, and I wanted to really formalize that education. That was kind of in a nutshell, the educational background. Now, what got me into crypto was kind of the, the early uh, Id- ideology of the movement and coming from the cypherpunk side of things. I, I've always identified as a, like a libertarian and just loved the idea of promoting peace and freedom around the world. And Bitcoin just seems like, you know, an innovation whose time had come. So that's, that's what got me into it. And it was, it was lucky to be part of that movement early on. And I started getting more active in terms of making this my profession back in 20, 2014. I initially just started off evangelizing the technology while I was in Afghanistan, you know, hosting these. These conferences and meetups out there uh, to promote the technology, and then when I came back to the U.S., I started working on projects directly. Uh, I started working with BitShares, uh, which I still think is a you know fabulous platform, absolutely necessary to kind of do the peer-to-peer asset trading space. But then I started working on the application side of that, saying, well, we need to make the technology more popular and and get it out there into the world. So I, I joined a company called BlockPay heading up their US and Canada operations to um basically get get the technology into the hands of merchants to start using on a day-to-day basis uh and then from there I I I went back to my original love in, in the privacy space with a project called Classic, which was a an offshoot from Zcash that took the core technology removed a few of the controversial parameters and you know just had kind of a simple a simple clone version of Zcash and then we realized pretty quickly that we we kind of came across limitations in terms of our mandate with the community. Uh, we wanted to do all of these cool things that we thought were great ideas for extending the project, but we realized we had to fork it, you know, because we were, we didn't want to hijack the project that had somewhat of a simple mandate of just being a clone of Zcash. So instead of hijacking that or, you know, trying to change things internally, we just forked it and we launched ZenCash. So you were forking uh, Z Classic, is that right? Not Zcash, exactly. Yeah, and and the reason was it was kind of a, a simpler version of everything that we wanted from the core technology. And basically, really, what we wanted was Libsnark, which was the you know the snark library for the zero knowledge cryptography.
0: I really want to break this down for, uh, well, not only for myself, but for people that are listening that are like new to this whole space. Can you go in depth in exactly what zcash is and how z Cla- uh, Classic, um varied from zcash and like what it provides let's say like a, a bitcoin doesn't
1: bitcoin was just a tremendous innovation in terms of getting this uh, distributed ledger concept down and distributed consensus of how you package transactions and append basically a set of transactions to a distributed ledger that was awesome but what people quickly realized was that there were some anonymity concerns there so it's not really an anonymous system. It's more of a pseudonymous system where your identity could be correlated to a set of addresses, uh, just based on your activity on the network and then your on and off ramp activity from the network to say like the U.S. banking system. So researchers started then looking at uh, additional anonymity layers to the system. Uh, some early, early options that were looked at like Dash was one of the earliest cryptocurrencies that basically Created, uh, you know, kind of a super mixing service on top of the network. There were other services using, say, like coin joins that were basically getting, you know, also mixing services, but they were, they had limited, um, you know, commitment sets. So they were kind of, at least from a theoretical perspective, not foolproof. So then the technology continued to evolve and people realized, well, we can build the mixers into the protocol themselves itself. You know, so you, you started having crypto nodes and services like Monero that were born. But then the, I think the ultimate expression of privacy came with using zero knowledge cryptography, which basically adds uh, an additional commitment layer where the set that's being committed of coins is the full, the full money supply. So it becomes, you know, even from a theoretical perspective, impossible to correlate people's coins with their identity if they follow proper, you know, privacy processes for how they use the system
0: just to, to back up on that for one second so for for people that are new to this like let's say you had um i sent you a bitcoin and you sent that bitcoin to someone else in theory yeah. even though they're only seeing addresses if let's say a government went and found out that my account was associated with that address then could trace it to your address and where it and basically just look at the ledger and follow that that chain all the way down through where it eventually ends up right so the, the privacy is kind of lacking there that's that's essentially what you're saying and then and, and then they came around with these ideas of mixers where um, is that the same thing as like I say a, a coin tumbler exactly basically it's a, a, a series of you send your coins into um, this address and they mix them together with a bunch of other coins so it's like putting it's like taking a cement mixer filled with thousands of coins mix them all together and spitting you back out some to hopefully obscure where they're coming from is is that right? That's exactly
1: right. Yeah. yeah. And they just became increasingly sophisticated over time. And really, the, the anonymity feature is based in the, the commitment set. So how many coins are you mixing with? And they started off with basically kind of, hey, people that wanted anonymity would, would kind of add their coins to the commitment set. But then you realize the, the selection process there is if you're doing that right away, you're, you're kind of identifying yourself as someone who might be doing something that requires anonymity. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like how governments now target people that connect to the Torque network. Right. right. So you do that and you identify yourself as someone who, for some reason, is selecting an enhanced level of
0: anonymity. Right. So you're like raising your hand and you're not saying where you're going, but you're saying I am
1: participating in this. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, you have people that say, I'm participating just for the sake of, you know, enhancing the security of the network. About how many people actually do that and then you're kind of committing yourself to you know join join forces with other people who might be doing things that aren't so so nice for society. Right. All right. So I I think it's just much more elegant the way that the systems have evolved where now the entire money supply is committed to this this anonymity set.
0: Now Zcash I've I've heard a ton of things about and um specifically around just apparently they have a phenomenal development team and there was a lot of innovation. Can you speak
1: to the innovation that they created? Absolutely. Yeah. I, so I, I think that the Zcash team is absolutely phenomenal. And I think that uh, the work that they have done, uh, especially with Zuko and bringing this technology or commercializing this technology, I think, you know, at some point you get a Nobel Prize for what they've done for society. And they, they dominate in terms of cryptography research in the space, for my opinion. So what they did basically was they brought in zero knowledge cryptography to Bitcoin. And unfortunately, the the Bitcoin core developers uh, chose not to adopt it into Bitcoin itself. So they essentially forked Bitcoin and created Zcash.
0: And then what was the, I, I know that there was one thing that if you take, in this is very deep subreddit level stuff that I've been kind <laughs> of digging through. Yeah. But if you, if you take a look at, the Monero folks say versus the Zcash folks, they will point to Zcash and say, well, the way that they created this currency, they didn't do it in the, the appropriate way and they, they only had a handful of people versus it should have been more distributed. What is that? You know, I, it, it's a little over my head. What, what is that debate that's going on there? It's
1: actually a very valid debate. I think that their concerns are a little bit uh, overrated though, from, from my opinion. So what it was, was to create so basically, to launch the cash, they had uh, what's called a trusted setup, which means that the initial parameters to the system, the parameters they used to sign these shielded address transactions, were basically created by six people. And uh, the six people, if they chose to all collude with each other and retain the, the private their portion of the private key, they could theoretically print zcash indefinitely they, they could just essentially oh, wow. um, without anyone's knowledge exactly no one would be able to prove that at least with current technology so you can see that the concern here is an extremely valid concern now what i'll say is uh and what a lot of people gloss over is these coins that use uh, zk snarks are experiments and zuko says this as well he's not unabashed in saying that is these are experiments now these are experiments that come with some risk Now, I I think that, uh, well, there's two ways to handle this type of risk. One is you increase the number of signatories. You know, you you could increase the number of signatories to infinity, and then the the probability of them all colluding with each other drops, you know, asymptotically to zero, but it will never hit zero, right, just from a probabilistic perspective. So you should always have skepticism. Now, from my perspective, the skepticism is a little bit overrated because the people that were involved in this process I think the the likelihood of them all colluding, including the fact that there were reporters that were also documenting this process as it was unfolding uh, I, I think the probability drops you know to the limit case of close to zero. Now we should be skeptical though now the other solution to try to solve this is evolving the technology to the point where we can do a trustless setup so we can kind of reconfigure the system and relaunch with the same you know ownership set of of coins what we call our unconfirmed transaction output set which documents who owns what, we could relaunch and you know at some point theoretically in the next couple of years use a trustless setup where we don't have to rely on human beings. So that's ultimately where we're going. You know, that's kind of the holy grail of the industry is once we hit that point, then we know mathematically that there is no gaming in the system. But between here and there, there will always be this lingering doubt. And what I'll say for Zen Cash is we analyze the setup process and we did our due diligence and thought whether or not we should redo it. And the redoing the setup would come at uh, significant cost. And we could have added more signatories, but really the marginal contribution to, you know, the likelihood of it being games did not justify the cost of doing it because I think it was an extremely well done setup. And Zcash has already audited their setup as well with asset experts. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty good.
0: So you didn't reboot the entire process of the signatories for Zencash. You're using the, the folks that did it for Zcash. Is that correct?
1: It, exactly. So everyone should know that. And you should know that we we carry the same risk then that we inherited from Zcash. I think that it's an acceptable risk and we chose to go with it, but everyone should know that. We should be clear up front.
0: And, and most likely there'll they'll be in the future, there'll be a, what would it then just be a hard fork to this more trustless setup that would port all the existing coins over to this this new base or how, how does that work?
1: That's exactly how it would work. So you would take the UTXO set and you do a hard fork on it. Uh, so it's it's kind of the same process that we did from going from Z Classic to ZenCash. We would do the same thing from ZenCash one to ZenCash 2.0.
0: Is this actively being developed right now? Are they are they trying to get to this trustless setup? Yeah, so I'll say
1: the, the Zcash developers or Zcash researchers are are tackling this problem, and they have the you know the expertise in house right there. Um, so the R and D that we're doing, we don't have any active R and D projects on, on that domain. So in terms of our setup, we're reliant on Zcash. Gotcha.
0: And then how does this compare to Monero? Why why is Monero claiming? Well, at least the the Reddit advocates are claiming that it's a yeah. it's a better system, and you should trust Monero over over Zcash. What is their setup process like?
1: Yeah, so I, I think that a lot of this, unfortunately, comes down to almost kind of like a, um, a faith based debate uh, because the, each community has their own advocates, and, and you know their own advocates have their own. Um, reasons for being there, and I think that sometimes we argue when we should just be collaborating. What uh, Monero uses is a CryptoNote protocol, and I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not an expert in CryptoNote. The general understanding of CryptoNote, though, is, is, is it's basically a large mixer built into the protocol. Um, so rather than having complete obscurity like we do with with Zcash uh, and then Zem Cash and these other offshoots with zk-Snarks, is they they have kind of a, a sophisticated mixer built into it. Now there are researchers that claim that. Um, the mixer is itself theoretically um, breakable. So that's where the, the point of contention comes from is you have some people say, Hey, theoretically, your mixer is breakable. And then they come back and say, Well, hey, theoretically, you know, any snark based cryptocurrency is completely counterfeitable. <laughs> right? So, right. So you have trade offs. And that's where we are. Is I, I'm not an advocate of one technology over another. I think we should be supporting all of them.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, so let's jump into your projects. I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about Zencash, why you decided to create this, what the goals are, and um, what the current state of
1: the project is. So for me personally, and I'll, I'll tell you, this is just my, my own you know, personal reason for doing this stuff, is I, I'm trying to promote the technology that I think will bring a, a freer, fairer, more peaceful world. And then supporting the you know, the privacy ecosystem stuff that we're doing, I think is a big part of that. And it, it's something that I think has higher marginal value to people that live without the things that we take for granted in the US. Uh, but this type of technology, I think lays the framework or the foundation for a more inclusive, you know, uh, economic system, system of how human beings organize themselves and, and voluntarily participate with each other. That's just the background for me personally and where I was getting into this. Uh, we have a, a very rapidly growing and diverse team everyone has their own motivations but i think that we at least share kind of a common thread of we're very idealistic and we want to make the world better and we all have our chosen path for how we want to see that happen this this project i think is just an embodiment of some of these paths
0: when you actually forked from the the z classic what were the features that you thought okay this will make um, that more of a reality, like I need to improve or add these, these types of, this type of functionality?
1: Yeah. So what, uh, so what Z, Zcash is doing extremely well, which then Zclassic just inherited, um, is their core cryptography research. So the core cryptographic protocol it, that they're working on is they're, they're the world's foremost experts right now. Now, what we said was, that's amazing. We love the technology, but there's this whole other set of stuff that we can do with it that, uh, you know, they're not really focusing on. Or maybe they're not focusing on now. Maybe it's a real option for them to exercise at some point in the future. But, hey, let's not wait. Let's just start moving now. And some of those things were, you know, we we know that, um, you know, there is a great degree of censorship in some parts of the world. So we wanted to add some some network-level anonymity features or, you know, like privacy features such as, say, domain fronting so that people can access the network without fear of recognition no matter where they are. Um, so, what domain fronting is, is basically you can you can access you know from your client to a node on the network without the world knowing that you're doing that. It would look any observer in the world like you're accessing say Amazon Web Services or some other you know commercial um, service.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. So, just to, uh, to expand on that a little bit, so let's say I'm I'm connecting to uh, download the blockchain for for Zcash or or pretty much any other cryptocurrency. Um, I'm trying to go out and find these initial nodes when i've launched this client those are known right so exactly someone's like looking at and and monitoring the traffic would say okay this person at this ip address sitting in this house has a cryptocurrency client running and is trying to connect you're saying that with uh, domain fronting that that's not the case how does it, is it doing a proxy server what is it doing there
1: Okay, we're, we're actually actively researching a, a few different solutions to this. But yeah, that would be one solution is to make it just to make it look like your traffic is coming from somewhere else or going somewhere else, I should say. Um, no, there, there are a number of solutions to doing that. And we actually will probably implement a few different types just to make it even more private. Uh, but we, we actually haven't uh, determined which path we're going we're to take on that. Front. That's, that's an active R&D project that we have one of our teams spun up to work right now.
0: That's a really cool project. I'd love to see that working.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's a really important project. Now, some other things that we, we thought were kind of necessary were well, from an economics perspective, I think what Satoshi did with Bitcoin was brilliant, but he, he only got the economics right, I think, for the, the mining consensus process. You know, how you append blocks to the ledger is beautifully aligned economic incentives. But there were plenty of other stakeholders in the system. And what we saw was that not all of these other stakeholders um, had a say or even had an economic incentive properly aligned with the system. So, for instance, what we wanted to do, then we broke out two other stakeholder groups uh, initially. One is this network of full node operators that actually use enhanced security protocols. One thing that we did, actually, which was the first in the industry, was we layered TLS into our protocol. What we have now is actually client-to-node encryption uh, just to make the entire process. You know, more more private. And then for the secure node operators that choose to have a TLS certificate and some other hardware requirements, they like the ability to process, uh, you know, a SNARK based transaction, which actually requires a, a good bit of RAM and have certain up, uptime requirements and a little bit of a stake in the system. If you if you satisfy these requirements, we're actually going to compensate you. So you're you're an economic stakeholder that gets direct compensation. So what this is doing for us and what's really important is that if you want to be censorship resistant, you have to have a massively distributed network, which other cryptocurrencies we thought were failing to do because they weren't incentivizing these people directly. Like why set up a Bitcoin full node with you know twenty twenty gigabyte or more hardware, you know, allocation and not be compensated whatsoever for doing so? So we figured, well, this is a no brainer, let's fix this problem. So we did, and right away, just in a week of operating the system, we're, we're pushing 5,000 nodes on the network,
0: which oh, is wow. one of the
1: most, yeah, which is one of the most decentralized out there. So
0: when you're, well, a couple of things, the, the TLS, it's been a while since I've, I've really dug in yeah. all this stuff, so that's, that's an, encryption, uh, uh, an encryption layer, right? That's uh, What is that exactly? Exactly. Is that what it is?
1: Yeah, exactly, so it's transaction layer security, which basically layers like a a secure handshake between the clients to the node. And that doesn't need a, does that use a
0: self-generated certificate? Like if you're a node operator, you don't have to go out and get a cert from a third party.
1: That's a great question. We actually have two options right now. And and this is just because it's our MVP. Uh, So we have uh, a self-generated certificate option, or you can have a commercial certificate. Now, the direction we take this in the future, we probably want to get uh, more decentralized. So having a commercial certificate may not be the way, but we need a, a really good solution to make sure that people actually have valid certificates, even if they're self-signed, right? Because anyone can self-sign something and claim to yeah, be that's, anyone. That's what I was trying to right? figure out. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, th- this is a serious problem. Um, or not problem. I guess a, a, a great opportunity for us to you know, research further, but the, the MVP product just allows for both.
0: And how do they get paid uh, so where does that money come from where so I mean, obviously they get paid in, in Zencash, but it what's the process like there
1: yeah the the process is it's a diversion of block rewards so right now we have you know the, the way the miners get paid basically if you if you package a set of transactions together into a block and you win this proof of work race and you, you win the right to add this block of transactions to the ledger currently for most you know proof of work cryptocurrencies you get paid directly like a uh, what they call a mining reward, um, and and for us that's so we have twelve and a half Zen uh, comes out uh, or gets unlocked from the system or created from the system with every block that gets added, and that's on average every two and a half minutes. Now what we do is we divert three and a half percent of those rewards to the secure node operators, so we pay them directly from the the protocol itself.
0: And is that is that split evenly, or is that split based on the number of transactions you're processing? For the secure node operators,
1: you're uh, you're kind of honing in on all the great questions here. Uh, you'll see our design philosophy is we're we're very empirically oriented. So for us, it's you start simple, you get feedback, and then you, you start optimizing things. So initially, we have just equal payments. Anyone who who satisfies the basic secure node uh, requirements, we equally pay you. We basically take the mining reward and split it evenly. Now. Some ideas of what to do in the future are how do we dynamically optimize this? You know, say you process more transactions. I mean, realistically, every node should be processing about the same transactions, but we have a whole set of additional services that we're considering layering onto the system. Things like creating a, a, our own distributed file storage system. So we, we create something like IPFS onto our node network and we, we layer this in, in sort of an a la carte menu for service um, operators to, to add. Well, if you if you choose to add this additional service you provide to the network, we're going to pay you more. Or we could do dynamic optimization of, say, how the network is distributed around the world. Because, hey, we can say we have an extremely decentralized network, but say we have 10,000 nodes operating on the same VPS service, all clustered in, say, North Carolina, United States, that and running on the same ISP service. That's not very decentralized, even though we, we claim 10,000 nodes. What we could do in the future is dynamically adjust the payouts to incentivize like geographic distribution of the nodes and say even like hardware type distribution or VPS provider distribution. Right. So There's a whole set of options that we can choose from here. And it's pretty exciting to think about. That's a lot of code.
0: Yeah. It all sounds wonderful, but it seems like that is like, I, I mean, I just imagine this. Uh, this idea of like you, you set up this server and you have a series of checkboxes and you're like, you know, enable file storage, enable this, enable that. And you basically have these trade-offs on, you know, what you want to choose to do, or how you want to participate in the, in the ecosystem, right? That's, that's kind of what you're exactly.
1: saying. So that's what I want. So I want to create a, an actual market for services. And I want the protocol itself and the community to directly determine what that market will look like not just a group of guys sitting in the U.S. making all decisions. right? So ultimately, we want it to be the most decentralized system where it's directly controlled by the community, not a handful of people.
0: And how do you, when you say directly controlled by the community, like I, I get how the nodes would have influence. Like if you're a hardcore, geeky person that wants to go, and set up a server and i actually did this for arc i was testing out and setting up my own server to process transactions and uh, but if you're if you're just an individual that wants to participate how do you envision that happening like what 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 are they going to be able to do to impact your decisions like are you going to have some type of voting system for future features like a lot of people are talking about that these days what are your thoughts
1: there so we actually have a, a massive r and d project that we're starting essentially next week uh, with um, a company called IOHK, which is one of the dominant r and d companies in this industry, and so we have a, a dedicated team of researchers and developers from IOHK that will be implementing a voting system into our protocol. And the voting system is actually based on uh, quite a bit of game theoretic research and leverages our zero knowledge cryptography to come up with a provably fair and integrated into the protocol voting system.
0: Oh, is this the video that I saw floating around? Yeah, yeah so exactly. Is this yeah. what uh, Cardano is going to do as well? Exactly,
1: yeah. So Cardano is, so uh, IOHK is one of the big R&D providers for Cardano. And we're, we're kind of joining that network with them. And we're going to be the first ZK-SNARK-based uh, coin or privacy coin that uses that technology. So I, I find it extremely
0: fascinating. Yeah, that's. I saw um, the the whole the whole video where they're talking about and you you guys were mentioned. I guess about three quarters of the way through. Um, I can link to yeah. that in the show notes here as well for people that want to check it out. Very cool. Well, that that sounds awesome. So you've got a. I mean, this is a great starting list of, of things. I got. I have, I have to imagine that you probably have as with any startup that, you know, I've ever been involved with, or that I watch unfold, it's like you have this laundry list of like 50 things that you want to do. <laughs> and then there's really only the like two or three things that you you really can do at any given time, given limited resources, you know? Yeah. So is there anything else on your plate that uh, is, is coming in the near future? This so far, it sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I think you nailed it is we're, you can see we're extremely idealistic and optimistic, so we want to do everything. The reality is you know we have to focus on the most important stuff in the near term. so some other really important projects that we are focusing on, and I think what what enables us to do a lot of this stuff is that we have teams working things in parallel and if you just go to our website right now, this really isn't very evident, which uh, you know we, we have a big rebrand of even just our basic communications to make this much more explicit but we're establishing eight to 10 independent developer teams around the world to be working on these projects in parallel. So that's how we're, we're able to have the capacity to tackle a lot of big projects at once. Now, the reality is we're, we're in R and we're kind of a, like a hybrid lean startup and R and D incubator. So, you know, there, any, anyone should look at these projects and say, okay, there's a good amount of risk that comes with them or maybe like a varying you know, scale of risk that comes with any given project. But some of the other cool stuff that we have in the, the near term pipeline are where so we're focusing hard hard on usability now. So the last six months we're all about establishing infrastructure, and the next six months are going to be deep R and D and usability. That makes me really happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I have installed thousands of horrible, horrible clients. <laughs> it's so exactly, brutal. Exactly.
1: No, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but the you know this industry has been dominated by. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, geeky guys, geeky enthusiasts, which has been amazing uh, to get us to where we are. But now as we transition more to like the general public, we have to put a huge effort into usability, basic user support and user support systems, right? And treating everyone with the dignity of, you know, that a customer in a company like, you know, dealing with Google products or some other well-known company like Zappos, gets. Yeah. Right. We, we can't just be treating people as if everyone should be an expert in, in cryptography or cryptocurrencies. Some of the, the near, the near term stuff are going to be usability, you know, coming up with amazing user friendly wallets, uh, integrating with services like, uh, open bazaar, actually, which is one of my favorites. It's kind of a, a distributed version of eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that now people who are into Zen have a, a direct way of using Zen to purchase things, goods and services directly. Other kind of R and D hitting projects that I love, we're, we're actually starting to tackle the idea of scaling way before we actually have any issues with scaling. So uh, one project that we have, a team of researchers looking at now is a, a graph-based solution, kind of like next generation blockchain, like moving away from this concept of kind of bundling transactions into a block and appendix of ledger. Instead, we we look at like a computer science concept of graphs or like directed acyclic graphs in particular to have transactions validate other transactions so that you can have real-time payment processing or transaction processing and things that can scale exponentially instead of scaling linearly. So these are kind of, I think, amazingly geeky and fun stuff to look at. Now, on the governance side and the economic side, which I find also just as interesting, is we want radical transparency. And you don't get radical transparency with any projects right now. So yes, we're building this protocol-level voting system that's going to be able to have community directly out resources. But we also need a nice way for people to understand where the resources are going. And sure, anyone can go in and audit the blockchain and look at where the, transaction, the transparent transactions are going. But at the same time, we want to make this extremely easy and digestible information for people. So we have a project called Radical Transparency, which is going to be building a software application that basically aggregates all of our spending into you know, easily recognizable um, categories or buckets so that people can say at any time, real time, what's, what's this project spending money on? Oh, okay, cool. You know, 40% is going to marketing. Let's you now click that drop down menu and look at where that marketing spending is going. Yeah, that's a you big know?
0: problem that we have with all of these coins. It's like there's there's now these exactly. massive war chests that that some of them have accumulated and you really have, I mean, there's there's zero information out there about where any of these funds are going.
1: Exactly. Or accountability in that sense. Right. Right. And that's, I'll admit, we fall into this bucket. We have the best intentions in the world. But right now, you're kind of dependent on the core team that's doing this stuff. And of course, we're theoretically accountable to the community. But realistically, if the information isn't easily digestible, then where is, where is the accountability? Like, do you have to be, you know, an Ernst & Young level, like, uh, auditor to be able to get into what we're doing? It sh- that shouldn't be the case, right? So that, these are the big projects that I, I'm really into. And, and part of this radical transparency, or maybe tangential to this, is we're, we're working now on, like, uh, architecting just a, a very comprehensive user support system. Uh, user support is just almost non-existent in this industry. No project treats the average user like uh, a valued customer, and that's just a shame, right? So we should have extremely explicit, simple you know, FAQs, knowledge bases, you know, support staff on hand and on demand to be able to walk users through how to do anything or answer any questions with the system. It is the biggest black eye of of this industry.
0: It's like I, I have, oh man, there's so many, I have so many stories. I, I have like crypto in limbo <laughs> right now from hit BTC, like, and I can't, I try to withdraw it and I, I contacted support and somebody told me, yeah, they get back to you in about a month, and I'm like, really? I, I have like all this crypto like sitting there not yeah. delivered to my wallet, and the, the wait time is a month. It's just, exactly. it's, it's, insane. And I, and I, I get that. Like, I was talking to, I know some folks over at Coinbase, and I was talking to them about this issue. And you know, when you're adding a hundred thousand accounts like every other day, uh, it's, it's impossible to stay ahead of that curve. But yeah, I, I agree. This is this, it's a that's a great project to have and, and to tackle.
1: Yeah, I, well, I think a part of this is okay. It's scalability, even on the customer support side. You you add a hundred thousand new users a month, or you know, say yeah, whatever number. How do you scale up your support staff to handle that? So I think that uh, one thing I'm very interested in is pioneering kind of distributed customer support systems, so that we can decentralize even our customer support, where you basically you create kind of like a like a, a package or a simple way or like set of standards, and then you kind of distribute the incentives down into the network so that people can kind of organically just sign up and and be customer support representatives for the system. But as long as they demonstrate some kind of minimum competency and knowledge of the system and you systematize things so that they have easy access to providing information to users. But I think we need to be able to scale at the same rate on our customer support as we are with our user base. And right now, no system's doing that.
0: That's true. It's 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 tricky though because you also could have potentially players in there that are that join and and say that they have great intentions, but then they come in to try and you know scam people out of their money or whatever it may be. Absolutely, it's, it's hard yeah. to figure out how to properly vet those people so that things like that don't occur.
1: Totally. I, I guess my my general philosophy is I'm not afraid to fail. Or, or make small mistakes and make lots of small mistakes as long as the mistakes are bounded in scope and we learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the kind of evolutionary approach that we need. Now, obviously, saying these words is sounds nice, but how do you actually implement this stuff into code or systems? Uh, you know, That's a completely different story. Yeah, or, or find the time to do so. <laughs> you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's so many of these projects. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about how you, you're team gets paid like i I assume this is your full-time work and and how did you guys deal with the initial kind of launch of this and what did you do with pre-mining that's always a big question in people's minds
1: yeah so we're this project was meant to be something that was you know provably fair so we we didn't like the idea of a pre-mine uh so actually no one no one got a special allocation of coins on this project so the coins that everyone has comes from working for the system. So even for even for me as you know, one of the founders here, we chose very explicitly not to allocate ourselves some percentage of the mine supply. My coins come from my personal investment in the system, and also from earnings. And my earnings were set to be equal with you know um, other people on the team as well, just to make things kind of fair, at least the first first approximation of fair. So our team gets paid in Zen, and really when we launched, we were an extremely small project. And we basically had an extremely egalitarian, flat organizational structure, which is still our ideal, but now we have to come to some realities of, okay, we're, we've scaled quite massively already, and does it really make sense if we want to attract you know, key talent for everyone to be making the same amount of money? Probably not. So what we're doing now is the next iteration of fairness is basically creating a, a, a more formalized HR system. Where we actually map out labor categories, position titles, uh, you know, requirements to be part of a labor category, and then compensation has to be provably fair and appropriate per that labor category and the work that you're actually submitting. So part of that is also just a basic timekeeping system that where members can bill hours to projects, like any organ, you know, bigger organization would have. So this is the next the next level of organization for our team. But the first the first level was really just kind of chaotic and saying, we need to launch right now. We need people right now. Uh, so we just started adding people quickly and paying them kind of lump sums to do, uh, you know, some general area of tasks. It, in some cases, it's worked really well, where people, you know, commit m- way more time than their compensation warrants. In other cases, you, it hasn't worked so well, where people take the compensation and don't contribute as much as others. So... That's that's kind of our growing pain, and we need to make things increasingly fair and transparent. Yeah, that's a difficult one.
0: I've certainly been a part of and, and known many folks that have tried alternative methods to a traditional company hierarchy. You know, I was you mentioned Zappos earlier. Tony Shea's is a, a buddy of mine, and he um, tried that holacracy. I don't know if you've yeah, ever heard of that. Yeah. And. And that, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that didn't work out as well. I had another friend, Ryan Carson, um, who runs Treehouse, also try it. And it's difficult. It's difficult when you try to, because it's, it's, you want to obviously give, empower people and let them come in and have an impact on your organization. But a flat structure at some point, just I've never seen it work properly. Right. It'd be interesting to see what you guys come up with.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes it's not fair, right? I mean, sometimes if you want to attract amazing talent and this person that you're attracting wants to put in 60 hours a week and their entire life is this project, should they be making the same amount or have the same authority as, you know, say someone with no work experience who's coming in, putting five hours a week? And obviously not. That's not a fair situation, right? So there's, there's a balance here. And I think the point is we want a fair system. Um, you know, and, and ideology should kind of go out the door. I, I really don't believe in ideology for these kinds of things. I, I believe in, uh, you know, trial and error and coming up with, you know, converging on solutions that are just increasingly fair. And we'll, we'll never really know. You'll, you'll never have the perfect solution right. ahead of time.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's. I don't think there ever will be a perfect solution. We're all humans with different hopes and dreams and feelings, and it's just really difficult. <laughs> you, you throw those, you throw all those people in the same room, and it's it's hard to get them to play play nice together. So it's it's this constant struggle.
1: Exactly. Oh, and it's dynamic too, right? So I mean, right. what was great months ago may not be great two years from now. Um.
0: So so back to how your team gets paid. Then where do those where do those initial do you get part of the I think you get part of the, the block fee. Is that right? Or how does that work to, to fund all of this?
1: Yeah. So, okay. Kind of circling back to one of the original conversations, we've had so many topic threads. Um, so, you know, the 88% of the block reward goes to miners, three and a half percent we talked about goes to secure node operators, and eight and a half percent goes to the treasury fund, to fund the team, to fund marketing, to fund basically anything that w- we think would add value to growing the network. So the team's compensation comes from this eight and a half percent pool. I see.
0: Gotcha. That's, that's great because, you know, I always worry about these, some of them seem some pretty fair and that you, you know, you run into a project and it's like, okay, we, we pre-mined 5% or 10%. And it's like that, um, that could run out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and then, then what do you do? You know, you've got this team of 50 or 75 people working on the product and, you know, People need to pay for their families to survive. And this is it yep. seems like a elegant solution to kind of an ongoing payment to to support the, the network and growth of the product. Is anyone else doing this?
1: They're not doing it exactly like us, but I'll say we took our motivation from Dash. I think Dash was the first to really pioneer this type of treasury model. Uh we're just trying to improve on it. One thing I think is really elegant from the economics perspective is this idea of incremental funding instead of lump sum funding up front, because I think our funding model that you just nailed is sustainable in the long term, because we know that 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now, we still have funding and it's incremental funding. And even from the concept of I I would not want hundreds of millions of dollars in capital up front that I have to figure out how to allocate. And then you have all these potential agency issues information asymmetries, just a uh, lack of information. Like, how would I know how to even time phase my capital allocation between today and 10 years from now or 50 years from now? Right. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why would you want a huge sum of money up front from just like an, an agency perspective? It's, it's, you know, it's not a good solution. Oh, I mean, I've being here in the Valley
0: and watching startups raise uh, insane amounts of money through various rounds of funding. I have seen too much capital actually do a lot of damage. Uh, you know, people overhire, oh, really? they they pursue things they shouldn't be pursuing. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the way that I view capital investments is you, we have this kind of like amorphous, you know, set of real options that we, we know about some of them today, like some of these cool projects we, we talked about. But I guarantee you five years from now, our set of real options will be extremely different. So having, knowing that we have funding that's incrementally phased just makes me you know, feel much more comfortable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited for you guys. It sounds like a really cool project. One of the other things I wanted to, to chat about real quick is you, you're listed as co-founder. Who else is
1: involved on that initial founding team? We had initially three co-founders. You've got me. You've got Ralph Firstluse. He's a, a very, very cool character you can probably see around our community. He's a, a former naval nuclear engineer. And then he he built up and sold off a, a successful IT company. Um, so he's got just a wealth of experience. And we had a third co-founder who was a, our lead developer who left the project shortly after launching. He's no longer with us. And then part of the kind of original team from there, we, we brought on, there's uh, Jane Lippincott, who's uh, a very, very promising young finance professional who's been working kind of our, our business development efforts in Asia. And we also have now on our leadership team, Gustavo Fialo, who's um, been just kind of a, a right-hand man helping out with everything from the start. And he's right now leading our user uh, support system development projects. And we have uh, Rosario Papps, who's another former military officer who's just got a wealth of operational experience and uh, a really, really kind of badass software project manager. So that's, that's kind of our, our core team. And we also have two really key advisors. We've got Charles Hoskinson, uh, who is one of the original founders of uh, BitShares, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic after the split, and now Cardano. So very well known in those areas. And he's also the CEO of IOHK. And we have Steven Naryoff, who's experienced. He's a lawyer, so he helps out with kind of our legal infrastructure and just a ton of kind of angel investor and VC experience in this industry. Uh, and major investor in a variety of projects in the space. So across the across the board, there we have I think a very solid team. And then I, I can't minimize the impact of the dozens of other people on our team who are just going through the daily grind and making that project work. Yeah, that's, that's that's great. Being in
0: this so wrapped up in this space, um, obviously you're spending all the time on your own project. But what else excites you out there? What are the other projects that you look at and upcoming? You know. Um, smaller projects that are just really promising. Do you have a handful that you track?
1: Totally. Uh, so, so not necessarily in the cryptocurrency space, but I'll say that the project that I'm most enthusiastic about, other than Zen, is uh, one called Seasteading. And um, it's, it's actually, so Seasteading, as in kind of like uh, homesteading, but you replace home with uh, SEA. So basically creating startup societies offshore. This project, I think, has tremendous potential, and is so underrated out there. Uh, it's originally founded by Patrick Friedman, Milton, Milton Friedman's grandson, and Peter Thiel, were the, the initial co-founders of this project. And now it's um, being run, I think, by an awesome team. Randy Hankin is the executive director of the setting Institute, and also now leading a commercial offshoot to try to actually build these platforms. And we're actually building our first project in a lagoon in Tahiti, uh, starting construction next year. So I think this is a really cool project because it, it kind of checks a lot of these like social values that, that I really care about, like economic inclusion, um, you know, social governance, experimentation geared towards voluntary, voluntarism, um, environmental cleanup. We're trying to make the aquatic environments around the said or trying to improve them, you know, and, and just really ch- trying to tear down borders around the world and make it more inclusive. Societies.
0: Well, that's very cool. So, this is something that people can travel out to and and visit and partake
1: in? Absolutely. So, we we, um, definitely encourage people to travel out to Tahiti even right now. Now, I I know the the project has been doing a, a series of VIP meetings in Tahiti for new kind of early investors and early adopters, which I think are great opportunities for some people, especially if you want to contribute and participate. That's great. But ultimately, we want to open this up to anyone in the world and it shouldn't just be VIPs. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. So, uh, how about on
0: the crypto side? Is there anything that uh, excites you? Other projects?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the the privacy stuff. Now, I'll say I'm much more of a fan of the protocol level stuff, the protocol projects, more so than say like the ICO projects. You know, the initial coin offering. Sure. Uh, don't excite don't excite me as much. I think the ICOs is basically leveraging the technology to raise capital for a firm. Uh, in, in most cases. I'm more interested in developing new protocols that have very broad or widespread uh, applications, so things like ethereum ethereum classic cardano on the or you know eOS on the smart contracting side I think are extremely interesting on the privacy side. I'm not really a really big fan of you know us obviously, but cash monero Dash, I guess um, some other you know smaller privacy projects as well uh, so that that's kind of where my focus is on i guess those two those two fronts. But, I mean, obviously, the industry is evolving so fast, I really can't even keep up with so many other projects.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, paying attention to some of the protocol stuff as well. Um, something like, like 0x is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, do you ever think we'll get to a fully decentralized exchange? I know that it, exists, it somewhat exists. There's some D apps that are kind of trying it, but there's, there's
1: latency issues, right? Of course, yeah. So there's latency issues, and then they're just on a price- practical side, there's liquidity issues. sure So I, I've been, I've been a huge supporter of BitShares from day one, and I, I love the project. I think there's really, really cool people working it. This technology is great. Um, but what I've always found is there's just really not enough liquidity on these markets where the, the market action is constantly diverging significantly from the price feeds you know, for the exchange rates. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but that these are challenges that I have no doubt will solve. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of these decentralized. Uh, exchanges as well. In fact, we have one, one project, you know, our, our growing wish list of things, you know, we're thinking, hey, why not leverage our node architecture to run a, you know, a a decentralized exchange on? Because within our own network, we can solve some of the, you know, distribution issues. We can add liquidity. We can, you know, do a bunch of things and have a little bit more control of how things evolve. So, but, you know, that's not to say I, I also love and support all these other projects. I want to see at least one of them massively succeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm something I'm I'm tracking and playing around with, but I, I see the same issues that you do. Um, one thing before we go that I wanted to to I totally forgot to touch on was secure messaging, mm-hmm. and your thoughts of that within the client and um, the future of that.
1: So this, this is a a really good topic. Again, we I can say we have an MVP solution right now for secure messaging. So the, the motivation was we're trying to create. A, a comprehensive privacy ecosystem, not just a cryptocurrency. So the, the the first application layer that we figured we would build in here was if you're transferring money resources securely, you ought to be able to securely communicate with the, the other party. We leveraged basically the same data structure for the, the shielded transactions that we have to use messaging over, you know, ZK Snarks for messaging. So you can now send a message extremely privately, probably the most private uh, method of sending a message in the world, because no details of who you're sending a message to or who you are or what's being communicated or broadcast at all. All this broadcast of the network is a valid message was sent, sense, a valid transaction occurred.
0: So how does that happen? I, can, can you walk me through technically how that happens? Is that like straight end to end communication or are you going through the blockchain? Like what, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, so it leverages zk-SNARKs on on chain, so everything's built into the protocol, and you're you're basically uh, zk-SNARKs create a second or a full commitment set with like a, a second Merkle tree. So uh, technically, you're you're kind of just layering on an additional anonymity feature that is able to track whether a transaction is valid or not. So it, when someone transmits anything using zk-SNARKs, whether that's um, you know just a message or money. No details of that transaction occur, at least if you're going from, say, shielded address to shielded address or, you know, secure message to secure message. No one can tell who sent a message or money to who. And no one can tell you even the amount, the magnitude that was sent. All that the system registers publicly is some valid transaction happened somewhere in the world. So it's kind of a beautiful thing from a privacy perspective. And that was our first MVP solution to the messaging. So that's actually built into our, our swing wallet. Uh, and we have a standalone app, um, that does messaging, but it's not user friendly in, in the sense that it'll take you 30 seconds to send a transaction or send a message. Yeah.
0: I had, I, I got to admit, I tried, I tried to use it. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. It's partially my own, <laughs> yeah. like wanting to talk about this. I'm like, help me figure this out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's meant for geeks, that, that, and that's fine, because that's the first iteration, just to have something on the market that people can use now, but it takes a little bit more technical sophistication to use it than, say, like, the, like my mom's not going to go out there and use a snark-based email message. Right. Right? But what we're talking about right now, and what I think is acceptable and maybe even optimal, is layering a, a messaging protocol onto the, onto the chain that uses something like a, a, a standard block cipher so we don't have to use zero knowledge cryptography for everything right so i think it's kind of like uh we don't need to overuse our technology for uh technical solutions that could be done at much simpler uh technology or much simpler you know uh computational load to the network so right. i think what we're going to do is probably uh work on a, a really simple but like elegant and super user friendly messaging system kind of like telegram or signal and build it onto our chain, but use a simple block cipher and not have to leverage the zero knowledge cryptography. But we can still have the zero knowledge cryptography for the really deep, important messages that people want to be, you know, completely private.
0: The only thing, the only downside there, though, is that if someone does retrieve your private keys, then all of your running history of messaging is forever stored on the blockchain invisible to that person with the private keys.
1: Exactly, exactly. So that's why it just kind of like second app layer that we're thinking about building on top that doesn't use the, you know, the, the same, you know, snark based, uh, on chain stuff. It could, could have kind of like a, like signal has a, a message automatically, right? Exactly. Think, yeah. Which I think is important. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there's different ways we can play around with that. Um, you know, we can make it an option. We can make it you know, mandatory wiping or whatever we want really. And, and I think what's important is, we need to be responsive to what users want. So, you know, we'll see. At this at this point, we have uh, an MVP solution already on the market, um, and we're, we're experimenting now with kind of like the next generation solution that might take completely different technical architecture.
0: Gotcha. Um, one question about address creation. Can you explain the two? Uh, I know for a first-time user that comes in and installs a wallet and, and gets us working on on Zencash, like there's two different types of addresses that can be created. What, what are the difference between those two?
1: Yeah. So th- this is actually very important for new, new users is um, we have like by design, we have a, a Bitcoin like type of address. So the, it, we call this a transparent address, all the privacy features of Bitcoin, but you know, we, we know that the, there are types of correlation attacks that could reveal your identity at some point. Um, but I think it's also important to have transparent addresses for say, businesses or merchants or even like our treasury we want everything to be public so all of our transactions from the treasury are on transparent addresses now the second type of address is, is what we call a shielded address which uses the the second um you know uh note commitment layer of um you know, so that it's our shielded addresses that retain the full anonymity features of our system but we wanted and we wanted it to be optional for users, which I think is really important for larger adoption, where they could toggle between, essentially, transparent and shielded addresses. And you can go back and forth between them. So, you know, if you ever want to break this kind of, like, chain of, like, correlation um, between, you know, something that you did 10 years ago and, and today, you could go from a transparent address to a shielded address, say, to another shielded address, back out to a transparent address, and you break that correlation chain.
0: Oh, wow. So so I can basically say, okay, I have 10 coins on a, a transparent address. I want to send it to someone that has a shielded address. I can just like with a couple of clicks, just boom, and that, that, that works seamlessly.
1: Exactly. But I, th- okay. I think it's important for users to have that option themselves.
0: Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. This stuff is so scary when you're like <laughs> you're sending these, these crazy <laughs> hashes. I'm like, I'm not about to risk going across hashes. You know, I'm like, they need to look alike. Otherwise, I'm freaking out. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> That's that, back exactly. to your customer support um, part we were talking about earlier. I mean, it's so key to really define all this stuff so that people really um, can understand what they're doing. Uh, it's, it's so essential. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your, your time. Thank you so much for doing this. If people want to learn more about the project and contribute and follow on Twitter, can you give me your slew of different handles and, and places? to? I know that you've got a, a pretty thriving um, community going on on,
1: uh, on Discord, right? Correct. Yeah. So Discord is our primary form of um, communication between you the know, community, the team. Uh, also, I recommend people come to our website. That's, uh, you know, zensystem.io. And then, you know, you can reach, you can, we have a Telegram channel. Uh, we have uh, a Reddit or, you know, subreddit. We have Twitter. We have Facebook, you know, so basically all the usual suspects for social media. Uh, and people can reach me personally as well. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people. I'm, you know, at Finpunk on any of these forums. Also, you can find me on Twitter, you know, Rob, at Rob Viglione. Uh, You can email me, Rob, at, you know, zensystem.io. So, you know, I'm happy to talk with anyone anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. This was was awesome. I really, really enjoyed the conversation.
0: That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to iTunes or in your iTunes app and give us a five-star review. That'd be massive. It helps us get recommended to more people and in turn more downloads and we get better guests on the show. Thanks so much. Be well.